Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Step right up. Prepare to be unsettled. You have left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. <laughs> there is no escape, and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. I am GM Danielson, your guide through these twisted worlds of the most disturbed imaginations. And now on to our first act. Our first journey puts us in the company of five friends who engage in a bit of fun with a Halloween seance. They realize very quickly that what they perceive as simple games are far different when played with those on the other side. Jason Hill sets the table for terror along with the Simply Scary podcast players in Eric Dodds, The Witches, and The Circle. My great-aunt had died the year before. Her house was locked up in probate until issues of inheritance were settled. My father was acting as caretaker of the property, which meant I took care of the place while my old man bought booze with my great-aunt's money. Truthfully, I didn't mind. It got me out of my own place, away from my old man, and it made a nice place to have parties and hang out with my friends. My friend Chris loved the place. I think he also needed a place to hide, somewhere, away from his own house, with all his dead mother's things lying around, right where she left them, before some sleep-deprived truck driver snuffed out her life like a candle, or a store-bought birthday cake. Our big plan was to host a Halloween party, just for our small group of friends. Chris quickly latched onto the idea of having a seance. He spent a lot of his time at the library or at some of the local used bookstores doing research. I told him it was no big deal, that it was just some stupid party trick. But he insisted on getting it right, as he said. I guess Chris was messed up about his mother's death. 
I should have thought about that. About why he was so concerned with contacting the dead. But he didn't talk about her very much. And as I've said before, I was stupid. There are things that happen when you're 19 that stay with you. You don't think they will, but they do. And if that's not the definition of haunted, well, then I don't know what is. I met Chris as he was walking back from the dollar store that evening. He was carrying several bags of Halloween candy, some chips, a few bottles of soda. He climbed into my car and I drove us to the house. He dumped the candy into a large plastic bowl and smacked my hand when I tried to filter some. Ah, that's for the trick-or-treaters, jerk. As the afternoon faded into evening, the trick-or-treaters did show up, giggling in their Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk masks. I doled out candy while Chris ordered pizza and set up the food on the kitchen table. More of our friends, that is Pete, Liz, and Sophia, arrived by eight. I was excited that Sophia had shown up. <laughs> I had been crushing on her for months. But at 6'4", 140, with bright red curly hair, I looked like a scarecrow that tried to dress up like Ronald McDonald. Sophia was tiny, cool, beautiful, jet black hair and skin that may have never seen sunlight. She was my secret reason for having the party. I didn't stand a chance, though. But, eh, a guy could hope. Liz was Pete's longtime girlfriend. She was almost as tall as me, with a shaved head and several piercings, full sleeve tattoos on both arms. I'm pretty smart, but Liz, Liz was a genius. She aced every exam without trying and was taking college-level classes in ninth grade. We had been friends for several years and had shared several classes at high school until she dropped out halfway through her senior year. The vice principal told her in no uncertain terms that she would not allow a tattooed freak, as she put it, like Liz to represent the school as its valedictorian. Liz. <laughs> Liz broke the woman's jaw in two places. That was pretty much it for Liz's public education. Pete was wrecked when he walked through the door. I had been friends with Pete since we were toddlers. His mother had worked with mine at the same hospital before my mother left town. I loved Pete like he was my own brother, but he had several bad habits. Self-destruction being pretty high on the list. He nodded his hello and then staggered to the cabinet where my great aunt kept her liquor. He liberated a bottle of peach schnapps. By nine o'clock, Pete had retired to the monstrous old red couch in the living room, with a cold cloth over his eyes and a bucket by his side. Chris and Sophia rolled up the large area rug, exposing the hardwood floor beneath. I turned to Liz as she and I shoved the furniture out of the way. Why is he overindulging? Failed his driver's license exam. Chris brushed his thick brown hair out of his eyes. Again? This is what, his fifth time taking it? I thought they gave it to you out of pity after five tries. <laughs> At least he didn't vomit blueberry pancakes on the instructor's shoes like he did last time. Chris stood up. Okay, everybody. Let's get started. Liz tried to get Pete to join us, but he was fast asleep. Chris returned to the room carrying a large wooden box. He opened the box and removed a small jar of salt and several candles. 
He motioned for us to sit in a circle, and he poured the salt in a double ring around us. He poured another, smaller double ring a few feet away in front of the fireplace. He then carefully taped down several pieces of paper, under which he had previously drawn strange geometric symbols. I took the candles and positioned them at points around the circles, and then I lit them with my zippo. Chris motioned for us all to sit within the larger circle. He dimmed the lights and joined us. We took our positions around a small wooden toolbox. The circle was small. When Sophia sat next to me, her knee touched mine. I tried to concentrate on something other than her perfume. Chris folded open the top and removed a metal bowl, which he placed onto a metal stand. He pulled some pieces of wood from the box, put them in the bowl, and then lit them. He pulled a fabric-shrouded object from the box and placed it in front of him. The dark cloth revealed a book bound in black leather, and when Chris opened the yellow pages, instead of being brittle, they turned with an odd ease. Chris flipped through the pages, and when he stopped, the sallow pages lay slackly open, without a hint of curling. He began a low chant in a sing-song rhythm. While chanting, Chris dropped wads of dried herbs into the metal bowl. Heavy, acrid yellow smoke billowed up, stinging our eyes. We stared at him with rapt attention. Ancient spirits. Ancient spirits, hear us. Ancient spirits, hear us. We beseech you. Ancient spirits, hear our call. Ancient spirits, answer us. Ancient spirits, come to us. Ancient spirits, the way is open. Ancient spirits, Take this offering and come to us. Chris ran a scalpel, a scalpel that none of us had seen, across the palm of his hand. Oh my, oh my god, Chris! Liz recoiled in shock. The blood sizzled as it met the flames in the bowl. Chris shushed Sophia with a glare. Ancient spirits! Hear us! The way is open! Answer our... <gasps> we all jumped, including Chris. Through the door, we heard muffled voices. <laughs> Sophia huffed and rolled her eyes. The ancient spirits are here, and they want candy. I thought you turned off the porch light. She stood up and walked to the door. She flipped on the porch light and opened the door. Two little kids were standing there, both dressed like witches, complete with pointy hats and green masks. <laughs> they shoved their widespread pillowcase sacks towards Sophia. Trick or treat! Sophia looked around for the candy dish, then saw it on the kitchen table. It was empty, save for some wrappers. Sorry, kids. We're all out. That's what it means when the porch light is off. The kids looked at each other for a moment. Can we come inside for a minute, ma'am? My sister really needs to use the bathroom. Sophia nodded and stood aside as two little pointy witch hats bobbed past. As the shorter of the pair went to the bathroom, the taller stood near the couch next to Pete. She said nothing. It was very still. I found myself sneaking glances at her mask. It seemed far too elaborate for a child's mask. The black pits that hit her eyes seemed to drink in the light. There was a crash from the hallway leading to the bathroom. Chris and I jumped to our feet and ran to see what had happened. 
We found the smaller of the two children kneeling at the entrance to the hallway with her head tilted down. I'm really sorry. I broke the mirror on the wall. My hat is too big and it must have caught the frame. I tripped. I, I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> it's just a cheap old mirror. Chris extended a hand, his cut hand, I thought to myself without knowing why, and pulled up the younger girl. It's getting late. Your parents must be worried. Yes, it's almost midnight. Sister, we should be going. We turned to see the taller sister leaning over Pete's sleeping form. Green mask pressed close to his ear. Hey, what are you doing to Pete? She stood and walked towards the child. He was sleeping. The witch shrugged. Her rubbery, pointed green nose bobbled. I was telling him to have sweet dreams. The two children left, clutching their pillowcase sacks and jostling each other as they walked down the sidewalk. I watched them go, and as I saw them turn the corner... I think that I may have seen them both take turns licking the smaller one's hand. We shut off the lights and bolted the front door, relit a few of the candles that had gone out. Chris picked up his book again as we rejoined him inside the salt circle. <clears throat> Ancient spirits, hear us! Ancient spirits, we call you! Ancient spirits, hear our call! Ancient spirits, answer us! At the stroke of midnight, Chris sprinkled more sage into the glowing metal bowl. Ancient spirits, we beseech you! A candle went out. <laughs> Sophia snorted and put her hand on mine. My heart slammed to a stop. Then I realized that she was only trying to pull the Zippo I had been fidgeting with out of my hand. She winked, then reached over to light the candle. Another candle went out. And then another. The room was plunged into murky darkness. Only lit from the flickers of the coals in the bowl. Okay. Okay. The ancient spirits have heard our call and have responded. Chris shifted slightly and closed the box. On the top of the box was an ornate inlay of letters and numbers, in the style of a Ouija board. Chris drew a small white planchette from his shirt pocket and beckoned us to place our hands upon it. We moved the heart-shaped piece on the board in small, slow circles. Ancient spirits, are you here with us? Something crashed in the kitchen. I made as if to get up, and Chris motioned me to stop. Don't, don't leave the circle. Stay inside the circle. Never break it. Nothing can harm you if you don't cross the boundary. We placed our hands back on the planchette. Ancient spirits... Are you here with us? The planchette slowly moved to a corner. Yes. Boards creaked in the darkened room around us. This... this is... this is too spooky, Chris. It feels like something's watching us. It... oh. Sophia looked down. In the twitching red glow of the flames... A shadow seemed to spread across Sophia's chest. She looked up at us and opened her mouth to speak. A flood of blackness flowed out of her mouth and down her chin. She slumped forward, knocking over the metal bowl. The burning coals scattered. Sophia! I lunged toward her. A smoldering coal burned my hand, but I didn't feel it. 
I could only think about Sophia's beautiful hair, and it was on fire. Chris rose to his feet. Get the lights! <coughs> he shoved me off Sophia out of the circle. I scrambled to my feet. I could see nothing in the inky blackness. Liz was screaming over and over. A wall should have been inches away, but I felt nothing. I reached out frantically. My fingertips caught something. The sleeve of her shirt it jerked away. There was a blinding, burning pain on my arm. I fell flat and away, clutching the wound. Blood soaked through the sleeve of my shirt. I crouched low, trying to see something. Anything. I turned back to the circle. Liz's face mouthing an oh of surprise jerked backward. Her slashed throat sprayed blood across the room. It smelled like copper. I turned to the right with my arm out and ran. <laughs> My hand slammed into a doorway with force. A fingernail peeled back and I dropped to my knees and crawled forward. My fingers met the cold steel of the refrigerator. I flung the door open, light flooded the kitchen, and I huddled in the corner, shaking. I heard Chris scream in pain from the other room. I snatched a heavy cast iron frying pan from the stove. My makeshift weapon raised high. I stood to the side of the doorway. Blood trickled down my arm and pulled on the elbow of my shirt. I heard the slow slide of footsteps. There was a low, whispering breath. I was paralyzed. What if it was Chris? Or Sophia? The light glinted off of the frying pan. My lips peeled back in a rictus grin. I grunted involuntarily as I swung as hard as I could. The edge of the cast iron pan caved in Pete's face as if it were a Sunday morning egg. He went down in an untidy heap. I swung and swung, bashing his head until it was a lumpy mess, until his body stopped twitching. Still clutching the pan, I ran to the front door. It took me an hour to reach the front door. The front door could not have been farther than 15 feet away, but it felt like miles. As I stumbled and crawled to the door, terrible things whispered to me, laughed at me, mocked me. I saw the dim shapes scuttled away as I looked, eyes straining to see my attackers. They darted in and out and gouged my flesh with claws and hot, grasping hands. I flailed blindly in the dark with a frying pan, but they only laughed when I reached the door. It was locked. I smashed the antique stained glass with a blow and then climbed through it, lacerating my hands and arms more in the process. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The official police report states that Peter McCulty, a 19-year-old Caucasian male with a record of prior arrests for law violations including vandalism and possession, was under the influence of a large amount of controlled substances, including traces of Adderall, Effexor, PCP, psilocybin, and certain others as of yet unidentified. When he experienced a psychotic break and killed several people, initially I was suspect number one. A police officer found me walking down the middle of the street, covered in blood and bleeding from dozens of cuts, fist clenched tightly around a cast iron frying pan. The police took a dim view of my story, and once it was determined that drugs had been involved, they ignored it completely. As far as the cops were concerned, a bunch of kids took some acid on Halloween. They played at a satanic ritual. Then one went off his rocker and killed a few of the others. It happens every Halloween, really. I was remanded into psychiatric custody for two weeks. It was only after I was released that I found out that the police had only recovered three bodies. Not four. They had never found Chris or any trace of him. I've never gone back to that house. Every night, I... I think about going back. I, I take my meds. Meds that make me forget. And suppress the whispers that I hear in the long black hours before dawn. But sometimes I still hear them. Every year as Halloween approaches, the voices get louder. Even if I'm at my dose, they tell me such terrible things. They tell me that it was my fault. They tell me I was the one with the knife. Can we not overstate enough the danger of meddling in forces you do not understand? Oh, you don't believe in all that hocus-pocus and nonsense? Well, I'm sure that Wikipedia page you read laid out all that you will need to know about your dalliances into devilish deeds. Score one for delusions of grandeur. After this brief message, we will offer something even more disturbing. Well, howdy, folks. The other half here. You want this show to keep going. I know, I know. But we do that with your support. It ain't free, you know. So besides becoming a patron and a member at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com or Patreon.com slash ChillingTales, you might be asking, Hey, other half, how can I support your form of killer broadcasting? I ain't got no scratch. Well, we've come up with other ways to help us keep this show dead alive. When shopping with Amazon, use the link ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash Amazon or SimplyScaryPodcast.com forward slash Amazon and a portion of your purchases go to keeping this Frankenstein's monster pumping with voltage. So remember, 
Use ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash Amazon and SimplyScaryPodcast.com forward slash Amazon when purchasing through there to help promote fan-funded entertainment like ours. Now, back to the show. And now, for your final destination. The memories of a childhood fraught with pain and turmoil were softened by the connection these four friends developed. Together, they were stronger than any of the forces that harmed them individually. But when they reunite, a darkness that has awakened years ago beckons them to return to the strangely hazy memories of their childhood. And they are powerless to resist the response to that call. Strap yourselves in as David Tyson performs along with Eden, Brindelin McNair, and Luke Fisher to take you for a ride into the foggy past in Malcolm Teller's Memories of New Year's. New Year's Day was always a special time in my life, both for what it represented and because of who I spent it with. Back then, and even until recently, I had no idea how horrifically dark it would turn later in my life. I grew up, well, you could call it a chaotic environment. My parents were alcoholics, and there was barely ever any food in the house, owing to my mom and dad spending most of their paychecks on booze. That and my pops was always beating the tar out of me. I'd show up to school with the black eye and all the kids would point and whisper. The teachers would act super nice and friendly to me on account of it, but no one, not the kids, not their parents, and not the teachers would actually step in and do anything about it. It was one of those towns where everyone knew each other and saw each other as good people. Even while it was obvious some were beating their kids. Enter my three friends. Rachel, Jenny, and Ryan. Their stories were similar to mine. Ryan's parents were neglectful and verbally abusive. Rachel's parents were practically the same as mine and Jenny. Well, how do I put this? Jenny's dad liked to go into her room at night. A lot. By the time she was 13, Jenny was in foster care and her dad was spending the first of many years in the state pen. It was almost like fate, somewhat poetic, that we all found each other. It started on a camping trip through our school when we were assigned to the same squad. I noticed this kid, big glasses, Straw-like hair shooting all over the place, getting shoved to the ground over and over by Rodney Finchley. Rodney was a major league loser until the day he got shot and killed in a drug deal going wrong at age 17. The kid with the glasses kept trying to get up and Rodney kept shoving him down and laughing with his friends like this was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. Why do you keep getting up? Just stay down! While I watched, out of nowhere I started getting really, really angry. Years later, I realized I reacted the way I did because that SOB Rodney reminded me of my dad. So, I marched over to him. Before I even knew what was happening, I had gave him a bloody nose. Long story short, Rodney and his gang of freaks steered clear of me and Ryan from then on. Later that day, Ryan introduced me to the rest of what would become our squad. There was Jenny, this girl with bright blonde hair and wide inquisitive eyes. She was one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. There was Rachel, this incredibly gifted, socially conscious Asian girl with braces and dark eyes. And finally, there was Ryan himself, with the biggest heart ever. From that day on, and 
Throughout the sixth grade, we shared our stories with one another and bonded over them. Eventually, the four of us became inseparable. We would have done anything for each other. When we were 15, for example, Jenny and Rachel spent all night helping Ryan write a love poem to his crush just in time for Valentine's Day. When we were 16, Jenny's boyfriend cheated on her with a head cheerleader. So Rachel and I smashed in the windows of his car. But New Year's Day was something else entirely. By the time we were 12, we'd gotten into this habit of celebrating New Year's Day down at the lake in the center of the woods, on the outskirts of town. We'd go down there and play games, having make-believe adventures and battles. Our childish minds took us to far-off galaxies, primeval forests, and ancient cities below the waves where we met the frightening, inspiring gods of those imaginary worlds. All of it brought to life by a shared agreement between our group of four. The most interesting and intriguing thing that we made up and agreed on, however, was the mythos. It was our way of coping with what we were all going through at the time. The mythos were, are the rules. It was the religion, the spirituality that we agreed to live by, summed up in 10 simple words. The year we created the mythos, after a day of exploring the farthest reaches of our imagination, we stood together at the water's edge and welcomed the new year with these words. Every action has a reaction and every call a response. Those were the words we said that year and every year after. In that spot, with the waves of that nameless lake lapping in time with them. I don't remember who came up with them that first year or even why, but they and their meaning are something I've thought about a lot recently. It wasn't always just us, either. After that first year, the state finally became aware of Jenny's situation and did what needed to be done. They placed her in foster care and she transferred to a different district. From then on, she'd bring kids from her school over to celebrate with us. It was incredible showing someone new the world we'd built together and the words that strung them together. It would always end at the water's edge. Together, we'd repeat the familiar words. Every action has a reaction and every call a response. Afterwards, everyone outside our group would go on their way and it'd just be us four again. Things went on like that for years, gradually tapering off as things got better for us. By the time I was 17, Jenny had been adopted by her foster parents, an excellent pair of people. Doctors at the local hospital and after hearing about my situation, they'd insist that I move in with them too. My parents put up no resistance to me moving out, and just like that, I found my life transformed. All it took was having a safe, quiet place to call home. The year before that, it had been Ryan. He'd moved in with an older cousin who had moved into town practically out of the blue. Two years prior, Rachel had moved in with her older sister, Kim. Once she'd gotten out from under her parents' thumb, Kim had sworn she'd never come back and moved away. After receiving a couple of emails from her little sister, however, she changed her mind and moved back in town in order to provide a better environment for Rachel. In the end, we all finally had a place to hang our hats and people that cared. Even so, the four of us remained a family. Fast forward to present times a couple of days before New Year's Day, mere months away from graduating high school. We all wondered what we were going to do. It was all we talked about when we went over to Jenny's house to have dinner together, just the four of us, as her parents were away at a medical conference in England. Jenny and I were setting up and dressed to the nine. Jake, would you get that? Sure thing.
I swung the door open and smiled as I saw Ryan and Rachel. Buddy! Ryan embraced me in a bear hug as Rachel leaned over to give me a peck on the cheek. So, Rye, you still committed to being an actor? Jenny smirked. She tried to saw a chunk of meat off the chicken at the center of the table. Ryan had found out the same year we'd start hanging out together that he had a real passion for theater. All his sensitivity and flair, all the qualities that years ago made him a target for trolls like Rodney, had made it possible for him to flourish in the field of drama. His friendship with us and his delight at being on stage were the two biggest positives in his life. Ryan shrugged before popping a morsel of chicken into his mouth. <laughs> you see, I... Stop talking with your mouth full. I just think I'm suited for it, you know? It's what I'm meant to do. <laughs> meant to do by what? Fate? The gods? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Remember that stuff we used to do at the lake every New Year's Day? My eyes shot open wide. Yeah! The games we used to play. Oh, God. What we used to do? Jenny would drink some of the water from the lake. A real solemn affair, if you ask me. But I can't for the life of me remember the rest. I remember. The mythos, right? Every action has a reaction and every call a response. <laughs> oh, wow. We took that so seriously back then. We had such good times, didn't we? Rachel nodded quickly. We did, and now you're off to be an actor. I'm off to Harvard, hopefully, and Jenny's off to med school. Well, eventually. <laughs> I, I, I think something needs to be said, and everyone quieted to listen. I think... No matter where we go or what we do, we should always remember that this, right here, all of us, this is what matters most. We've been through so much and we'll always be together. All of us, no matter where we are, we're family and that'll never change. Ryan raised his glass and everyone else followed suit. Here, here. To friendship. To family. After we downed our drinks, we continued chattering away for a while. A short time later, the food was gone. We were full and it was time for bed. We all retired to our rooms and drifted off to sleep. But not for long. I was startled awake by ragged screaming coming from the bathroom down the hall. I jumped out of bed and ran. By the time I made it to the door, Ryan and Rachel were there, too. <laughs> Together, we burst into the bathroom and found the floor covered with clear, watery vomit and Jenny in the middle of it all hunched over the toilet. The water in the bowl was dark red. The rim splashed and streaked in crimson. Jenny looked up at us with tears in her eyes, a look of agony on her face as we entered the room. We all stood there, frozen in shock and horror, staring at Jenny's blood-covered jaw. As she retched more, my mind started to race. Was it food poisoning? No, not rationalized. It couldn't be. None of the rest of us were sick, and we'd all eaten the same food. <laughs> As I stood thinking, Jenny vomited again and leaned back, her chest heaving with every ragged breath. Rachel knelt down and wrapped her arms around her, stroking her hair in an attempt to comfort her. Ryan ran downstairs to call 911. Jenny ended up in the hospital. Once she'd been admitted, we notified her parents who tried to get on the first flight back home. Unfortunately, due to a variety of setbacks, their flights kept getting delayed and it was some time before they arrived. In the meantime, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with Jenny. After observing her overnight and in spite of our protests, they advised us there was nothing further they could do and so they released her, advising us to monitor her and 
telling her to return to the emergency department if there were any further incidents. Jenny decided to stay at Rachel's. As for me, I headed home and tried to get some sleep. For some reason, however, my mind kept drifting back to the lake, to the celebrations we'd have on those New Year's Day evenings. I fell into a restless sleep and woke exhausted in the morning. Unsure what to do, I called Ryan, who by then had returned home. Ryan, I'm kind of messed up in the head over last night. Can I come over? Oh, sure thing, buddy. An hour later, I arrived at Ryan's place. He greeted me at the door, brought me into his room, and waved me over to a beanbag by his bed. <sighs> Jenny vomiting like that really messed me up, right? Ryan looked over at me and nodded. No, I, I feel you. It was really bizarre. But she's gonna be okay, at least, so that's good. I just... I don't know. I feel really shaken up over it. I don't know. I'm just being stupid, I guess. I think it might help to talk about something else. Um... His eyes lit up. Uh, hey, uh, do you think we should all go do a New Year's Day celebration tomorrow? Th the way we used to years ago. I laughed and shook my head. <laughs> Man, <laughs> we grew out of that a long time ago. He smiled wistfully as though reminiscing and for a little bit. I smiled too, but I could feel a tension between us. Something odd and out of place, and it was growing. After an awkward silence, I said my goodbyes and took my leave. After returning home, I busied myself watching television and browsing the web. At around 10 p.m., I caught it quits and headed to bed. I woke up sometime later to the sound of my phone ringing. I groggily reached over and answered it. Hello. It was Rachel. She could barely get her words out. Eventually, I understood what she was getting at, and it made my heart feel like it had dropped right out from under me. Rachel had found Jenny motionless in her upstairs bathroom, lying in a pool of bloody, watery vomit. There was no pulse. The next few hours were a blur. I remember clearly sitting on Rachel's couch, Ryan and I beside her, rubbing her back and trying to console her as the paramedics and police did their work. Hours later, the police and paramedics took off leaving us with more questions than answers. How could this even happen? Not paced back and forth, my mind racing. I threw my hands up, my eyes wide with confusion. Now I got nothing. Look, maybe the autopsy will figure it out. In fact, it, it has to. It, it has to. Abruptly, Rachel held a hand up dismissively. You, you two... You two need to go. I immediately protested, but she wouldn't have it. I... I... I need to be alone. Please. Please let me grieve. Ryan and I made eye contact and then we both nodded at her. We left her place and headed to our respective homes. I had no idea the dark turn the next few hours would take and how they would change everything. I didn't sleep well that night. I dreamt I was standing by the lake on the evening of New Year's Day. Before me was Jenny in her usual gray hoodie and black jeans. I called out to her. Jenny! After a moment, she turned around. What I saw horrified me. Jenny's mouth and jaw were soaked in blood so thick that it looked black. Ants and beetles raced out of her mouth and across her face. Her eyes shone like headlights. Ah! I woke up, thrashing in bed, heart pounding as I glanced at the clock. It was three in the morning. 
Realizing I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep, I called Ryan. He didn't pick up, but I wasn't about to settle for that. Instead, I jumped up, got dressed, and headed out on foot. I was a few blocks from Ryan's house when I noticed the police cars and ambulances lining up along his street. My eyes shot open with fear and I took off running. I spotted a cop riding on a notepad and approached him. In a panic, I begged him to tell me what happened. Ryan had killed himself. He bled out in his bathtub. He must have done it almost immediately after I left. I could see the whole scene in my mind so perfectly. Ryan, still full of nostalgia, smile plastered on his face, drawing the water and getting undressed. I imagine he smiled even as the razor dug in, even as the drops of blood hitting the water, year after year. Every call, a response, and I felt numb as I walked away from the scene. Not just because Ryan was dead, but because I finally knew. <laughs> I ran myself ragged getting to Rachel's place. I got the spare key from underneath the doormat and let myself in. The air was still. Everything was quiet. My heart thumped in my chest as I desperately hoped for the best. It sank as I stepped into the living room and heard water running in the kitchen. There I'd found Rachel on the floor beside the sink, lying still in a pooling mixture of blood and water, staring at the ceiling with glassy, unblinking eyes. It appeared she had slipped and hit her head on the kitchen table. I'm at the lake now and it's near midnight. I'm here because I need to be. This place is thick with memories. And I know my role. Jenny would say the initial prayer and then drink from the lake. Then Ryan made a small cut on his wrist and bled into the water, introducing life into the equation. Next, Ryan and Rachel would restrain the kid, the ones Jenny brought, whoever they were, and forced their heads beneath the surface. They held them while they thrashed until they finally went still. Then we'd set the body adrift and let it float away. Jenny had always made sure to pick the ones that wouldn't be missed or cared for. And then I, I'd give the call. The beings we met during our New Year's games and the places we traveled to in our minds, they weren't our imagination. Far from it. They were real, and they were ancient, and they were powerful. I'd call out to them, beseeching them to bless the year and our lives. With the sacrifice made, we were certain they would answer. And they did. After all, every action has a reaction. Following the rituals, our lives improved dramatically. In exchange for our services, we were granted safety, success, and the ability to forget what we had done in order to get it. But now, now the response. Even as I speak, I see the waters rippling more and more, as if something is approaching. Every action has a reaction, and every call a response. Never forget, for every call, a response. (laughs) 
Imagination can be a wonderful thing, as long as your world of whimsy remains under your control. For when some entities see an opening, they will use the ignorance of innocence to feed their hunger. After this message, we have one final thought to threaten your sleep with. The Simply Scary Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. Become a patron today and you'll get the extended version of this show. Here's a sample of the extra stories you get when you become a member. He decided to soften his new company up. Without warning, he charged the boxes and threw his full weight at them, sending them crashing against the wall and pinning the thief. Satisfied with his handiwork, the owner walked around the corner, looked into the thief's panic-stricken eyes, and slammed his knee into his witness's head, knocking him unconscious. The man thought maybe he would just let his new company stay in one of the boxes overnight. After all, he already had a live one. Become a member today. Go to simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash tour to get more horror than you can handle. We are all dealing, and I do mean all. Horror readings by GM Danielson is included. With the current YouTube situation in our own special ways. And unfortunately, it cannot be overstated that we need your support now more than ever. So why continue waiting? Why let the others experience it all and remain in the dark? Take the risk. Become a patron today at ChillingTalesForDarkNight.com forward slash tour and take the tour. You will get an extended version of this very show, plus more of our special brand of horror entertainment. And now, it is time for our favorite part of the show. I am going to do a two-for-one deal today only. I am reading two comments, yes, two, that work perfectly together. This episode's winning YouTube comments are from Maddie A. They write, I wanted to thank you guys for everything you do. I am a stay-at-home mom, and I look to you guys to help me get through the days of screaming kids, messy pets, and a house in constant disarray. If anything, your stories tell me, Hey, you think you got it bad? <laughs> LOL. Wonderfully put, Maddie A. And in response to Maddie A, the gaming movement says, That is so amazing! I love that there are so many different walks of life on here. I'm a 19-year-old college student. Both of these comments are illustrative of the way our brand of storytelling reaches across the demographics to frighten everyone equally. It also shows the impact that you can make on other people, no matter the distance or the barriers laid before you. And in your own small way, you can make a difference in someone's life. We on this end thank both of you for listening and being a part of the Simply Scary Podcast experience. But we will need you both to send us a screenshot of your YouTube account page with your name pictured to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com in order to claim your prize. Keep the comments coming and be ready for us to interact with you in more ways than one. This is GM Danielson thanking you for joining us. And as we close this evening's frightful festivities, let me remind you that no matter how attractive the assistant, always keep your eye on the ball. For you never know whose eyeballs are on you. Join us next time and be prepared as your heart pounds heavy and your blood runs cold. For you are just experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast. This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. 
The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions? Email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC, 2017. Thanks for listening. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.